0: My guest this week is Robin Powell, a journalist and content marketer. We talk about how he set up an agency to help financial services professionals with their content marketing and how he became interested in evidence-based investing, the approach often forgotten in the debate between active and passive investing. Welcome to episode 166 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing strategies simple and the BS at bay. Hey folks, and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I've got a great guest for you this week. It's journalist and content marketer, Robin Powell. We chat about how content marketing can help those working in financial services, the process Robin uses to create a content strategy for his clients, which people inspire Robin, why Robin thinks video is the king of content, How Robin got into evidence-based investing, how evidence-based investing works, and evidence-based investing versus active investing and passive investing. So let's get straight into that interview with Robin right here on the Marketing and Finance podcast. Robin Powell, welcome to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Roger, well thank you for having me. Tell me, Robin, where are we, I was going to say, Skyping each other from? Where are we Zooming each other from today?
1: I'm in Birmingham, uh, and more specifically Digbeth, which is the uh, kind of media tech Uh, centre of... uh, of
0: And I'm in Edinburgh as always. And actually, it's a glorious day here in Edinburgh after a couple (laughs) of weeks of the beast from the east. Robin, thanks very much for coming on the show. You're a journalist by career, but you've morphed into running a content marketing agency, and you also do quite a bit of work on evidence-based investing. So quite a lot for us to talk about today. But before we get into those subjects, maybe you could give the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and basically what makes Robin Powell tick.
1: I'm a journalist, uh, as, as you say, by, by background. I did work for a little while in, in newspapers and radio, but I spent the, the bulk of my career in broadcast television, particularly news and current affairs. I made uh, some a couple of award-winning documentaries. I also worked for politics show on, on BBC One and for uh, Sky News uh, for, for, for many years. Um, it can be a little bit of an ageist profession, I suppose. Television. I suppose when I when I got to a certain age, I, I kind of decided that, yeah, I, I was going to uh, branch out and do something else. I set up my own production company, and uh, the television. We really just stumbled on this financial advice sector. Really, by chance, our, our very first client was a was a wealth management company, and uh, we don't exclusively produce content about finance and investing, but that has become a, a, an area of specialist expertise for us.
0: And was there a reason that you fell into content marketing? Because you've effectively set up this agency that creates content for financial advisors and content as we know can be anything from blog posts to videos to ebooks to podcasts like this to to whole whole TV series how did you how did you get into this whole idea of content marketing and on what value can it bring to the financial advice sector
1: well i suppose um in, in television i was there really from the kind of early 90s through to uh, sort, of, sort of 2011 2012 that, that that sort of time, and it was a very disruptive time in television. We I mean, k- kept on hearing these stories about, you know, one day, you know, you'll be able to watch videos on your uh, on your telephone. You'll have amazing technology which you can take around with you to enable you to produce high quality films that in the past. You know, you'd you'd need to have a, a camera that you'd take a mortgage out on, literally. <laughs> yes. Got colleagues of mine used to have mortgages on their on on their on their cameras, uh, and, and we used to hear these stories and think, oh, surely that 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 won't happen. And of course, it, it all did come true. And actually, whereas a lot of people were actually quite frightened by all that, I, I was actually quite energised by it because what, what really fascinated me was was the idea that we could. Use our broadcast skills, expertise, technolo- te- technology, and so on, uh, for the benefit of corporate clients. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, over the years, uh, we've worked with, with with several different sectors. I did a lot of work, for example, with the with the university higher education sector. We've worked with charities, uh, startups, disruptive companies in the services space, and, of course, financial services companies specifically. And, yeah, you're right. Content marketing has a huge role to play. Content marketing has taken over from marketing. It's the only form of marketing now that actually... Actually works. It's not easy, it takes time, it takes resources, but if you stick at it, it definitely does work.
0: Do you think that enough people actually know what it is, Robin? I mean, I I live and breathe content marketing and have done for about 10 years. It's probably about the same time you've been doing this. Mm. But you know, I'll have a conversation with a financial advisor in a in a pub or at a conference. I'll I'll even have a conversation with a product provider. And if I raise the the subject of content marketing, I often get a sort of blank look. Mm -hmm. Do you you think enough people understand what it actually is?
1: Well, well, content is your message. It's uh, what sets you apart. It's your story as a business. It's your values. It's your philosophy. Um, And frankly, if you're not telling your story and getting your message and your values and so on out there, then no one else is gonna do it for you. So the, the only way of doing it, frankly, is through uh, content. Yeah, okay, of course there are still uh, conferences and, uh, and, and so on, uh, there, there is still a role. For the traditional media and for advisors to be the local newspaper investment expert or appear on a sort of regular radio show as the, as the kind of financial expert or whatever, those things are important. But uh, let's face it, Roger, whatever we want to buy online now, everyone our age and younger, and, and, and probably most people older than us as well, yeah, uh, will will go on the internet first. And if they can't find your company, they'll find someone else's, and you won't get a look in. And of course, the trick is to make sure they find you. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the other side to content marketing. You know, you can have the best content, the funniest, the most engaging, most interesting, whatever content in the world, but if the right people don't see it, and enough people don't see it, then it's frankly, a waste of time and resource.
0: So if a financial advisor is interested in putting together a content marketing strategy and they come along to you, what are the processes that you take them through to, I guess, work out who their target customer is, work out what their proposition is, and then how do you go about putting that content strategy together for them, Robin?
1: Um, Clearly, uh, it it all depends on who they are as a business, what what makes them stand out. I mean, that is the challenge for every financial advice business. There are literally thousands of advisors, financial advisors out there to choose from. And uh, there's very little differentiation uh, as far as the consumers are concerned. So it's really, really important that, that a company works out what it's USP is mm-hmm. what makes it different to, to, to everyone else. And then there's a large element of managing expectations. I think a lot of people go into content marketing thinking, oh, I only need to make a, a brilliant uh, homepage video and uh, I'll have customers rushing uh, to, to, to towards me. Of course, it doesn't work like that. It, it is very time consuming it can be expensive it requires huge amounts of patience i think there's a a really good analogy with investing Mm -hmm. you know uh, you 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 don't buy a um a a fund and expect to be a millionaire this time next week you buy something you hold it and you'll go through times when you think what the heck did i do (laughs) (laughs) But if you stick with it, uh, if you persevere, you stay the course, as you know, it works.
0: Yeah, it's so important to highlight the fact that this is a long game. I I often use my own podcast as an example of this. I launched this podcast to effectively keep my profile out in the market after I left big corporate. Um, I'd done about 33 episodes before I actually got a genuine inquiry as a result of the podcast that led to a piece of work for me to do. And it was actually episode 99 before I got a five-figure piece of business, which I could really jump up and down and get excited about. And the sad fact is that with podcasts, the majority of people stop doing them after about seven episodes because they think, "Oh, this isn't working. I'll move on to something else. Mm. The reality is, as you've just said, you've got to stick with it. It's a long game. And eventually, yes, the dividends will start coming in, but you really have to have that long-term mindset if you're gonna go into this content marketing game.
1: Exactly, and I don't know who's been an inspiration to you, Roger, but for for me, it's the big financial investment bloggers in the United States, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some really, I mean, I don't want to do down our own blogging talent here in in the UK, but America is blessed with some excellent uh, financial writers. The, the, the biggest investment blog is, is, uh, is, is uh, managed by a guy called Barry Ritholtz in New York. Mm-hmm. He has actually built a whole advice firm around content. So he hires advisors specifically who can actually write content as well, yeah. who can actually blog. And they built a whole business around that. And everyone in that kind of group uh, of bloggers you speak to say exactly the same thing. And just like you said just then, for the first year or so, you know, it's probably you know only their mum who's reading the yes. stuff, you know. And you've it can be a very lonely existence, particularly when, like me, you're putting out a message which is sort of countercultural, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and some people find quite unsettling. It can be quite a lonely existence. But if you persevere and and you you stick by a niche and don't try to you know be all things to all men, just just do what you are interested in, write what what you know about, um then you will build an audience.
0: And do you think that video is the absolute key at the moment. The reason I ask that is that uh, you're quite right. The Americans are, I would say, five years ahead of us in terms of content marketing, in terms of podcasting and and video vlogging and that sort of thing. Mm. But you do hear all these stories that stat that I hear quoted is that by 2020, something like 80% of the content that we'll consume as individuals will be Video. Now, sometimes marketers like me get excited about these sorts of things, and we actually forget mm-hmm. we're not actual atypical customers, and that actually t- typical customers, some of them are still watching DVDs and, and, and standard definition TV. But is video the way that we should all be looking?
1: Well, uh, as, as Warren Buffett said, you know, don't ask a barber if you need a haircut. You know, <laughs> yeah. don't ask a video producer if you if you need a video. I'm bound to say yes, but having said that, yes, the evidence does show that video is an extremely powerful way of getting a message across. Uh, uh, there is something. To do with that combination of, of seeing the person and hearing them say it, uh, that makes something more memorable. That makes it more believable. And also, you've got the added advantage, a, a, a huge advantage, that that the search engines, particularly Google, of course, mm. which which owns YouTube, loves video. Yeah, as long as you. As you do it properly, as you, the phrase is, optimize it. As long as you're optimizing your your videos properly, then it is a hugely effective way of uh, of bringing traffic to your website. Yeah, I mean, uh, podcasting as you've discovered is is also very powerful. I think it's actually much harder to break through with audio podcasting. I do think audio podcasting has a has a big future here in the UK. It's certainly very popular. Among financial advisors in the US, I think it will eventually come here as well. But yeah, video, as far as I'm concerned, is the is, is, is the king of content.
0: And of course, these days, most of us are carrying around an HDTV studio in our pocket, and it's called a phone. Oh, well, <laughs> a, a,
1: a, a, exactly. I mean, there are some people in my uh, area in terms of you know, professional video producers who will poo-poo the idea of using Know, smartphone technology to produce video content. And to, to be honest, I would discourage firms from using it for the bulk of their content. But there are certain sorts of videos where you can get away with filming it on, on, a, on an iPhone. I mean, the, the iPhone, the latest iPhones, the, the cameras on there are, are, are amazing. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I would urge people to, 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 to get a proper mic, to get a tripod for the iPhone, that kind of uh, video content has a role to play alongside the more high end content that, that, that my own company, Regis Media, produces.
0: And of course in to, in addition to the the video production Robin you're also and what's the way to describe this an evangelist for evidence based <laughs> investment and and you've made you've you've created a niche for yourself in this area you have a blog which is all about this and and to be perfectly honest it wasn't until I was researching the chat we were going to have today that I actually realized that in addition to active investment and passive in- investment which we hear about all the time and the the difference between active and the difference between passive evidence based investment isn't really something that you hear a lot about how mm. did how did you get into this area
1: well it's 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 funny isn't it to be thinking in terms of and talking in terms of evidence-based investing. I mean, you, you would think, wouldn't you, you certainly <laughs> hope, uh, that um, people who've been making investment decisions on our behalf and recommending courses of action to us over the years have been doing so based on the academic evidence. But rather shockingly, I, I, I discovered this about six years ago now when we were approached by a wealth management uh, firm here in, in Birmingham to produce a documentary about investing. And, and that entailed me uh, uh, reading the research, reading the books, meeting some of the, the key players in the investing industry, the, like so Jack Bogle from Vanguard, David Booth and Dimensional Nobel Prize winners like uh, Eugene Farmer and uh, William Sharp. And frankly, I was staggered to to realize that that. A lot of investing is actually based on theories, mm. on 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 hunches, uh, and and on behavioural biases. You know, uh, as as I'm sure you know, there are, there are all sorts of biases that ordinary investors are prone to, and and the professionals are just as, or not, maybe not just as prone to, but but they're also prone to these biases, uh-huh. like like the rest of us. And um, yeah, that, that's how the evidence-based investor was born.
0: What is the difference between active, passive, and evidence? Obviously, active is you've got a fund manager who you pay probably a very high fee to, and sometimes he outperforms the market. Perhaps he doesn't very often. Whereas passive, you're tracking an index. What is it within in, with um, evidence-based that's different from those two?
1: Well, the the active passive distinction is, I don't find particularly helpful. Mm. Um, I mean, for a start, we all like to think of ourselves as active, you know. Uh, uh, Passive is a, is a, yeah, it's something that no one particularly, you know, would would volunteer to be passive about anything. Um, But actually, what the evidence shows is that active managers, in other words, professional money managers who through either stock picking, or through market timing or a combination of those two things, try to beat the market. The vast majority of them fail to do that once you take into account the costs that Mm. you incur using them. It's a bit of a no-brainer, really. You're paying someone to do a job for you if the money they make for you is totally wiped out and more by the charges that you pay why the heck are you using them? Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it, it is astonishing that in 2018, you know, after 50, 60 plus years of academic evidence that shows that active investing is a loser's game, and an increasingly a loser's game, the, it, the active investing is still the default form of investing. It's, mm. it's, it's staggering. Broadly speaking, evidence-based investing is basing your investment decisions on academic evidence evidence that has been produced using robust statistical analysis that is independent that has been peer-reviewed in other words that it's in other words it's been um, published in a in, in an academic journal uh, and also that's been time tested as well ideally um, and what you find with almost all of the so-called evidence produced by the industry, um, they, they don't pick the tick. Uh, so sometimes they don't tick any, any of those boxes mm. uh, and, 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 and very, very rarely do they tick all of them. Um, and, and broadly speaking, the, the evidence says, you know, you, you should diversify broadly. Uh, you should keep costs low and you should invest for the very long term. And other than just occasionally rebalancing perhaps every year or so, do very, very little. It just so happens that you know it, index funds, okay, they're not necessarily a, a, a perfect solution. There's nothing sort of magic about them. They are very, very cheap. They do what they say on the tin. In other words, if, if you buy... Um, you know a, a FTSE all share equity fund then you are going to get all the stocks in the FTSE all share index uh, whereas if you buy an active fund you 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 know you never quite know what you're getting you might be getting some what you probably are getting some cash and some bonds and some small companies and some larger companies and 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 so on there's a whole mix of mix of things in there so, so, so you, you know what you're getting, you're, you're diversifying. So if you have a, a calamity, if there's a, if there's a Carillion in there, you know, yeah. uh, and, and every now and again, there will be a, a, a Carillion type event um, uh, and you lose your money. Well, it's just a tiny fraction of your, of, 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 of your portfolio. So, so index funds really do make sense. Now, some evidence-based investors, and, and, and I would include myself in this, also would recommend that investors have some sort of exposure to factors, known risk factors that have been shown to produce higher than the market returns over the long term. So, for example, um, Eugene Varma and Kenneth French uh, in the early 90s uh, famously discovered that um, uh, small cap and value companies over the long term outperform larger companies uh, and growth stocks. So, although you are taking on a little bit of extra, I don't like to call it risk, its, it's you're, you're taking on more volatility over the short term uh, and, and the medium term over the long term by tilting your portfolio towards value and towards small cap stocks, and also towards companies that are, have high profitability. You are actually increasing your chances of, of, a, of a successful investment experience.
0: And do, do financial advisors talk about this a lot? It's not a subject that I... I say comes up in conversation that often. I hear a lot about active, I hear a lot about passive, but I don't hear a lot about evidence. Is it because it's harder or it's just not as well known?
1: I, I would say that that passive investing broadly is evidence-based investing. You
0: know, right. If
1: you if you are investing broadly in low-cost index funds and holding for holding them for the long term and not trying to sort of second guess the market and dip in and out of different sectors. If you're investing passively, then broadly speaking, you are an evidence-based investor. Right. As I say, it is slightly complicated by this 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 other element, if you like, that there are known risk factors that have outperformed the market over the long term. For me, The ideal strategy is one that combines traditional market cap-weighting index funds, as it's called, uh, market um, cap-weighted index funds, that combines that with factor funds, funds that tilt towards factors like size and value.
0: And your blog that you've put together focuses on not giving advice, obviously, but the sort of things that people might want to consider if they want to put together a portfolio along the lines that you've suggested.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I must say quite, quite, <laughs> quite a challenge that I have uh, uh, as editor of the evidence-based investor blog uh, is that there's actually a limit as to the number of things that you can actually say. Yeah, This, this is one of the reasons why active investing is so popular. You know, we love stories. We love to hear about the latest fund manager who's just, you know, managed to outperform the market by a whopping amount or uh, the latest must have investment, whether it's a cryptocurrency or whatever. There's always something new, there's always something more exciting than indexing out there (laughs) of course this plays into the media's hands as well because they love it they love stories and you know here in the uk we have and it happens in other countries too but we, we have a whole branch of the media now dedicated to what on the surface looks like kind of investor education and so on, but really is just glorified marketing, yeah. which is, is is more or less just helping the product providers to to flog their you know f- uh, frankly very expensive and and pretty poor products. Indeed, this is
0: this has been fascinating. Learning a little bit more about this, and uh, I, you know, I would encourage people who are listening to the show to come along and have a look at the blog and learn a little bit more about evidence-based investing. As we wind down the conversation, Robin, this is the Marketing and Finance podcast, so I always like to ask my guests, if there's a marketing campaign that's caught your attention recently, now it doesn't have to be a finance-related one, it could be anything, cats or cars or whatever it is, has something grabbed your attention recently that's made you sit up and think Yep, yeah, like that
1: yeah I, I mean I, I will sort of stay close to home as as far as uh, the sort of subject is concerned and choose an example from the from the investing space the, there is a, a tendency sometimes with content to make it too intellectual to yes. to, to appeal too much to people's intellects it, it, you know ability to intellect is important and it has its place but ultimately people will base a, a buying decision on, on, on an emotion so so it, it, they, they decide to go with a particular product provider or service provider on an emotional level mm-hmm. if you like. So the thing to do is to make people uh, is to move people uh, mm-hmm. you know make, make them cry, make them laugh if, if you can. And I actually think, Comedy has a has a sort of big role to play. And it's something that, that we've started to kind of work on in our own work with financial advice firms. There is a a, a firm in South Africa called 10x Investments mm-hmm. who, whose conference I spoke at last year. They are trying to get across this concept, I convey on the evidence-based investor that when you use active managers, over the long term, when you include the effects of compounding, you are effectively handing over somewhere between a third and a half of your potential returns to intermediaries. That is an absolutely staggering amount. Mm. And that is a message that evidence-based advice firms and, and so on need to get across and this company in south africa has employed a kind of well-known south african tv comedian to produce a series of videos and, and and basically he shows how ridiculous it is that that people are giving so, uh, away so much of their of their wealth. So, for example, he will go into a supermarket and he will take uh, items out of people's trolleys. He will go to um, a, a restaurant, for example, and he will pretend to be a waiter and the waiter hands the food to the to, to the diners and actually starts helping himself to the food. I mean, there are various uh, v- videos in this series and, and they're all very amusing and they all tell a really important story. I really like that. I mean, let's face it, Investment,
0: financial services is a pretty dry subject and as you've said, sometimes it's over intellectualized and and if you can break it down and make it funny and make it emotional, then obviously you're going to start attracting a few more people to watching and, and to engaging. Robin, it's been fascinating to talk to you today about your content marketing business, about video and about evidence-based investment. I'm hoping that people listening to the podcast are going to want to get in touch with you. So what's the best way that people should connect? It could be your website, it could be Twitter, or both.
1: Okay, uh, probably the best way is via the evidence-based investor. There's a contact uh, uh, section on there. Uh, the uh, URL is evidenceinvestor. Dot com. My content marketing firm for financial advisors is uh, called Regis, R-E-G-I-S, Media. Uh, and again, you can visit us at uh, regismedia.com and, and, and get in touch with us there
0: fantastic and i'll include links to those websites in the show notes for this podcast which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash m a f that's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash m a f robin thanks very much for your time this afternoon i've really enjoyed our chat i've learned a lot wish you every success for the future and maybe we'll bump into each other in london at some point in the future
1: let's hope so roger really nice talking to you
0: Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.